right, great to see you today. Thanks for being in the house today. And if you're worshiping online, man, welcome. Thanks for joining us online as well. I don't know if y'all have noticed it's hot out there. Anybody notice that? It's really hot. I remember a couple of years ago, Liz and I decided, man, we're done with the heat. We're going to go to the mountains and we're just going to spend a week trying to get out of it. And uh, man, it was great. We, uh, we went to Colorado. Uh, we whitewater rafted. We ate some great restaurants. We slept in way too late. We had just a lot of fun, but we also went on some hikes. Now, I don't know about you, but man, I like to go out and hike, but I'm always kind of like, okay, am I, am I going on the right trail here? And I'm going to get it lost, you know, and is this going to be like, I thought it was two miles and it turns out it's 20, you know, that kind of thing. And so we found this amazing app. It's called the All Trails app. And so you just put in your location and it will list off all the trails that are close to you and they rank them you know, whether they're very advanced or medium or easy and how, far, how long they are and that kind of thing. And then when you, it gives you direction to the trailhead. And then when you get to the trailhead, you activate the app and, and it will illuminate a path. And then a little blue dot is you. And then as you walk along, you just kind of keep the little blue dot on the line, you know, and you can walk along the trail. I mean, it's like foolproof, anybody can use this and not get lost kind of app. And I loved it, man. We used it. We had so much fun. It was great. Just kind of, oh, we're getting off the path. Here we go. Okay, let's keep the blue dot on the line. And uh, it was great. But what I, you know, when I think about that, I think about, it took a lot of trust really to, to follow this app, to use this app. I had to trust that the designers of the app knew what they were doing. That they had the landscape uh, all accurately. Uh, understood. I, I, I had to trust that I really was where the blue dot says I am. I had to trust that the trail marked out was the safest trail and the best trail, the most scenic trail. There's a lot of faith that went in to just using that simple app. And, and we've been talking about faith, and, and faith is a lot like that. We're in Hebrews 11. We're, we're looking at the great people of faith and what it means to walk by faith. Uh, but in your own life, your faith walk means that you've got to trust that God's the designer of all things and that he knows how to run your life better than you do. You have to trust that he, you are where he says you are, especially in your relationship with him. You have to trust that God really does have a pathway for your life that is good. You know, Psalm 1611 says, you make known to me the path of life. That God's got this way for me to live my life that brings life, and I have to trust that by faith. And so what I want to do today is I want to talk a little bit about that path. In fact, I want to show you two men in the Bible that, that struck out on a path. One followed God's path, and one followed his own path. And both of those paths lead, led to different destinations so I want you to see that. And then hopefully at the end of this message, God will give you some clarity as to what path you are on right now. Okay? All right. So get your Bible. Open it up. If you didn't bring one, there's one at the seat uh, next to you. Uh, open up two places. Genesis chapter 4 and Hebrews 11. Genesis chapter 4. We're going to be in Genesis first. Genesis chapter 4 and Hebrews 11 is where we're going to be today. So just a little setup on Genesis 4. Adam and Eve have sinned against God. They have been expelled from the Garden of Eden. Now sin has 
permeated the earth and they now have some children. So they have their first son's name is Cain. And so Cain literally means he's here. All right. So if they were looking for a son, I guess they named him Cain because he's here. All right. And then there, the, the other son that they had is named Abel. And Abel means vapor, which is some kind of indication as to the brevity of his life. Cain and Abel. Cain was a farmer. He worked the ground. Abel was a rancher and shepherd. He worked the livestock. And both of these men now have come to God to worship God. And that's where we pick up the story. Genesis chapter 4, beginning at verse 3. If you're with me, say amen. All right, this is the word of God. In the course of time, Cain presented some of the land's produce as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also presented an offering, some of the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but he did not have regard for Cain and his offering. Now stop right there for just a minute. So you have these two guys, they've come to worship God. Now just a, just a little side note, both of these guys exist after the fall. They've sinned against God. They live in a sinful world and they're outside the Garden of Eden and they are now coming to approach God and they're gonna come to worship God. And, and so you just notice that they do a couple of things right. For example, they, they come at the right time. It says in the course of time, uh, some versions translate that at the end of days. It just simply means that God had set a time for them to worship him. We don't know when that time was. We don't know if that was once a week or if that was once a month or once a year. We don't know. But they knew the time and they came at the right time. And the time that God had prescribed to worship him. They also came at the right place. Notice it says that they came to a place to offer up their offering. And so they came bringing their offerings with them to a location that God had prescribed as well. So God told them the time, God told them the place. Now later on in the Old Testament, God will designate a special place in the temple called the Holy of Holies. And, and there the Ark of the Covenant is. And, and on top of the Ark are the, the wings of the angels, the cherubim over the front of it. And, and, and there's a bowl there called the mercy seat and they would offer an atoning sacrifice for the people and put some of the blood on that mercy seat. That was the place where God designed him to meet with, with men, right? But this, that was way later. This is much, much earlier now, but God has designed a time and God has designed a place and here they come. But the way they come to God is very different. Notice it, uh, Cain came and brought some of his crops. We're not told what he brought, but he brought some of the fruit of his labor, some fruit of the ground. Uh, Abel brought a lamb, a sacrificial lamb. And it says that God accepted Abel's sacrifice, but he rejected Cain's offering. Now, I don't want you to miss that. That's kind of a big deal, all right? So I just want to pause here for just a minute. Don't want to run by it. God accepted, he goes like, Abel, I like what you brought. I accept it, well done, you're approved. And then Cain, I didn't like what you brought. I'm not accepting it, you're rejected. That, that's pretty stark contrast. And, and I think the principle that we learn here is that, that there is some worship that God accepts and there's some worship that God rejects. 
And you may say, well, why is that? Why does God accept some and not accept others? Well, Jesus talked about this. Remember, Jesus told a story in Luke 18 about two guys that they go to the temple to worship God and they both come and one guy's all decked out in his Sunday best, you know, and he's one of the religious uh, professionals. And so he stands before God. And he says, God, I'm awesome. God, I keep all your rules and all your laws. God, I know you're so happy. I'm here to worship you, right? And then there's another guy next to him and he's like a tax collector and he's like the low end of the social ladder. He's a sinful guy and he's on his knees. He doesn't even lift up his head and he's like, God, just have mercy on me. I'm so a wreck. God, I need your grace. And Jesus painted the picture of these two guys and he said, one of them left approved and one not approved. God just doesn't accept all worship. That there's some that is acceptable to him, then there's some that is rejected. And you say, well, why, why is that? And the simple answer to that question is that there, there is a right way to come to God and there's a wrong way to come to God, all right? And, and that is what is illustrated in this story. There's a right way to come to God that leads into his presence and his goodness and his blessing. And, and there's a wrong way to come to God that leads away from him. In fact, you could put it this way, uh, the way you worship determines your way in life. The way you worship, the way you approach God, uh, puts you on a path that leads you somewhere, okay? So I want us to take a little bit here and just look at both the right way and the wrong way, okay? And this is very fundamental, very, very important. So the right way to come to God is illustrated by how Abel came to God, all right? That God had regard for his offering, that God accepted his offering. So what made Abel's offering so acceptable to God? That's a really good question. And so the answer to that is found in Hebrews 11. So flip over, keep your finger in, in Genesis because we're gonna come back. But Hebrews 11 verse four is a verse about Abel. Look at what it says. By faith... Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith, he was approved as a righteous man because God approved his gifts. And even though he is dead, he still speaks through his faith. So what is it about Abel's offering that, that was acceptable to God or that made him acceptable to God? All right, so I want you to circle the words by faith, all right? Two times it's mentioned there for emphasis. That Abel came to God by faith. What that means is that, that Abel accepted what God said about him and his condition and his need. He came by faith. Interesting little Bible trivia question here. Who's the first person to ever walk with God by faith? Uh, answer is Abel. You say, wait a minute, what about, what about Adam? I mean, didn't Adam? Well, Adam walked with God by sight, right? Even before the fall, Adam walked with God and, and knew him, uh, but but Abel is the first one after the fall, after sin, with the sinful nature now, that, that he is, um, has to trust what his parents told him about God and approach him by faith. Abel came to God just believing that what God said about him, that is that he had sinned against him, that he was in need of forgiveness, that he needed to be atoned for, that he accepted this by faith. All right, and then the second thing I want you to notice about him is that he brought a sacrifice. I want you to circle that phrase there, by faith, he offered a better sacrifice. Circle the word sacrifice. Not only did he come by faith, but he came 
through the way of a sacrifice. So when he came to God, he brought a lamb, a sacrificial lamb. Now, how did he know that he was supposed to bring a lamb and that only a lamb would be what was required to, to be accepted by God? How did he know that? Well, the way he knew that is because you go to Genesis chapter 3, you, you can see what happened to his parents. When, when Adam and Eve sinned against God, the first thing that they were aware of, the moment they sinned, was their nakedness, right? Oh, oh you know, I, gotta, I gotta cover up, right? And so they, they, they experienced the need for a covering. That's the first thing they recognized. And so they immediately get some fig leaves together and they try to put it together to cover themselves. But when they finally come clean with God and God deals with their sinfulness, what does he do? In, in Genesis 3, 21, it says that he took the skins of animals and he covered them with it. And that right there is the very first sacrifice for sin. Right there, Genesis 3, 21. That an animal died to atone for, literally to cover. Atone means to cover. To cover the sin of, of Adam and Eve. And so they knew the only way our sin can be atoned for, our only way our sin can be covered is through a sacrifice. And so they passed that on to the boys and the boys knew that. And so when it came time for Abel to come and bring a sacrifice, he comes and brings a sacrifice because that is what God required. That's what God required. And he knew it. And you say, well, you know, why, why does God require that? I mean, this whole sacrifice thing is kind of gooey and kind of weird. And I don't know that I really like that. It doesn't seem very sophisticated for today's audience. I mean, why does God require sacrifice? And I think it's a really important question. And my answer to that would be this, that justice always requires a payment. We know that. If you get on I-35 and you drive 160 miles an hour, right, in your Lamborghini, you're going to get pulled over. You know, if they can catch up to you, you're going to get pulled over, right? And they're going to give you a little ticket. Or they may just kind of put the silver bracelets on you and take you in, you know, for an overnight stay. Uh, and, and so, anyway, eventually at some point you're going to stand before a judge. And the judge is going to say, are you Mr. So-and-so? Yes, I am. And did you go 160 miles an hour on I-35? Well, I guess I did. And you're going to have to pay. You're either going to pay a fine. You're either going to pay by time in jail. You're going to pay by community service. You're going to pay in some way. And, and if a just didn't, judge did not make you pay, it would be called a miscarriage of what? Justice. Because justice requires a payment. I mean, how many times have we seen some, you know, politician somewhere and they get off scot-free when, you know, the normal guy would be paying the, paying the line, you know, here. We say, that's not just, that's not fair. That's right. Justice always requires a payment. And the same thing is true with you and God. The God is your ultimate judge. And your sin requires a payment. What payment does it require? Well, Hebrews 9.22 tells us, Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. That's what it says. Without shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness. Another way, Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is what? Death. There has to be a payment. That, that's all the way back Genesis 3. And so this is what Abel understood. He understood that in order to come, I, I believe by faith I'm a sinner. I know that I have to come and bring a sacrifice. And so he brings his sacrifice. I want you to look at what else it says about him. It says that he was approved as a righteous man. You see that? 
He was approved by God. He wasn't approved because he was smart. He wasn't approved because he was necessarily more moral uh, than Cain was. But he was approved by God based on the offering he brought because that's what God required. See that? So important. So important. Listen. Listen to me. You are right with God. That is, you're declared, approved, righteous before God. Always, by faith, through a sacrifice. Always. This is, this is the essence of the gospel. It is by faith through Christ that I am approved before God. That is what God has provided. Now listen, this, this lamb that Abel brought uh, to the Lord that day as a covering for his own sin, this would be repeated over and over and over and over through the sacrificial system in the Old Testament, right? But eventually they get the picture that this, this what we're bringing here, these lambs that we're bringing aren't gonna get the job done because they have to do it year after year after year after year after year. And then they finally begin to get, understand that one day there's gonna be a Messiah who's gonna come who will be the ultimate lamb and will ultimately pay the penalty for our sin. And so there became a longing for this one to come, this ultimate lamb of God to come. In fact, Isaiah wrote about him 700 years before the death of Jesus or the birth of Jesus. This is what he said. He was pierced because of our rebellion, crushed because of our iniquities. Punishment for our peace was upon him and we are healed by his wounds. We all went astray like sheep. We all have turned to our own way and the Lord has punished him for the iniquity of all of us. See, that, uh, the, the payment that we owe was placed on this one to come and he will die to pay for it. And so when Jesus, 700 years later, shows up on the scene and John the Baptist says, behold, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world they knew exactly what he was saying. They had been looking for him for generations and generations. That's what Abel's offering was a foreshadowing of. Listen, the only way you can come to God, the only right way to approach God is by faith, I recognize I'm a sinner in need of grace through the sacrifice that Jesus Christ has provided for me and only then can I be approved by God. That's it. Without Christ, there's no other provision for your sin. Now, as sure as, sure as there is a right way, there is then also a what? A wrong way. And really, Cain represents the wrong way to come before God. And you're going to kind of see the contrast here. When Abel came to God by faith, acknowledging his own sin, Cain comes to God, and it doesn't appear that he recognizes he has any sin at all. And I say that by virtue of the fact that he didn't bring any sacrifice for sin. It's almost as if the Cain came in and he goes, oh, you know, I'm not so bad. You know? <laughs> I mean, I'm a good person, you know, I do, do my best, I, I try to be a good guy, you know, and, and, uh, and I, I'm, not, I'm not so bad. So there's no sense that he's accepting by faith the, his own spiritual condition, that he's lost, that he's in sin, that his sin needs to be covered. It's almost like what happened to his parents and whatever Abel's doing over here doesn't affect him, right? He's above that, or he doesn't need that in his life. And because of that, 
Cain relies on his own efforts. Instead of saying, well, yeah, I got to bring a sacrifice because I got sin in my life. Instead of doing that, he's like, you know what? I, that whole sacrifice thing, I'm not really into that. I'm a farmer. I don't like blood anyway. I tell you what I'll do. I'll come to God my own way. I've got my own style. I got my own way that I'll come to God. And you know what? I think I'll come with the fruit that I produce. And man, wouldn't that altar look a lot prettier if it had some pomegranates on there and some pineapples and, and some fruit, some veggies, and let's throw some radishes on there. And I'll just make you me a little Thanksgiving cornucopia on here. And it's going to have so much, it's going to be so much prettier and so aromatic. And it's just going to be awesome, man. That's the way I'm going to come to God. And that's what he did. He came to God his own way, but he didn't come to God the way God told him to come. That is at the core of every religion. Every religion says, we're going to come to God our way. I, well, I don't need, we don't need to come through Christ. We don't need to come through a sacrifice. We don't need to admit guilt or sin. We're just going to come to God on our own way. And so I'll... I'll kneel to pray at certain times. I'll spin the wheel. I will say certain prayers. I'll go through certain rituals and we'll do all this. And surely God will accept that because, I mean, after all, I'm a good person. And after all, I'm sincere. And after all, I'm crying out to God and all the roads go to God anyway. And so surely God's going to accept my way just as much as he does your way. And we're all kind of going the same direction anyway. And that's how we get to God. But that is false. The book of Jude is a little book, I mentioned it last week, it's a little book that's right before the book of Revelation, and it's a tiny little letter, really, it's written to Christians, and, and the problem was that there were these false teachers coming into the church, even in the early church, that were saying that very thing, you know, you, you, cross, you don't need that, you don't have to go through Jesus, you're not so bad, and, and they just kind of proliferated this idea that we're all going to get there fine and you can kind of live and let live and do whatever you want. And, and so the writer of this book is warning these churches to not accept that, that that's not true. And so it's a warning, warning, warning light, all right? Maybe one day I'll get, get time and we'll go through the book of Jude, but it's just warning at one after the other after the other. And I want you to notice what it says about these preachers that say you can go your own way and live your own life and it doesn't matter. Look at in Jude verse 11, this is what it says. Listen to these words. Woe to them, he speaks about these false prophets. Woe to them, for they have gone the way of Cain. They have gone Cain's way. That, that's, that's what Cain was doing. Saying you, to you, there's another way, as long as you're sincere, that you'll be fine, but you won't. Ultimately, Cain was rejected. He was rejected by God. His way wasn't the right way. It was the way that God prescribed. But I want you to, I want you to see something here that, by the way, before I, I say that, let me just say that there are a lot of people today that have that message. Hey, all roads get to the same place. Live where you want to. There are people that have podcasts and, and they have blogs and they write books and they are in pulpits. They have commandeered whole denominations. They are all over TikTok. This is the religion of TikTok. 
This is what people are hearing uh, online. This is their message. It, it's, it's a minimization of sin, uh, despise the cross, the atonement, sacrifice. No, no, no. That's not what was happening there. God doesn't require that. Or they try to turn God into some uh, child abuser and, and, and they despise the gospel. They demonize the gospel. This is the message that's going out right now. It's very popular. But I want you to understand that that is not progressive. That is regressive. It's all the way back to Cain. It goes all the way back here. This is where it all started. It's just repackaged, different names, different faces, same terrible message. And because of that, Cain was rejected. Now I want you to notice something about, flip back to Genesis 4, how God responds. When God does reject Cain's offering, I want you to notice how God responds to him. Look at the very end of verse 5. Genesis 4, end of verse 5. Cain was furious and he looked despondent. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you furious? And why do you look despondent? If you do what is right, will you be accepted? You know, it's interesting. God comes to Cain. He goes, Cain, what, what's the matter? By the way, when anytime God asks a question like that, he's not looking for information, right? He, he already knows. It's not like the husband says, honey, what's wrong? Because ladies, he really doesn't know, all right? He, he has no clue. But God knows. And, uh, and God's going, what's the matter? Why, why are you so upset? Why are you so angry? He knows what's going on. And then God warns him. He's like, he's like, look, if, if you come the right way, you come the way that I told you, you'll be accepted. But if you don't, sin, he says, is crouching at the door and, and it will have you. In other words, you, Cain, you got to make a decision here. And if you go this down this road of your own way, and you're not that bad, and you, you can be sincere, and you can get wherever you want to go. If you go down that road, sin is at the door, and it will drag you and eat you alive. And so how did Cain respond to that? Did he go, oh, God, I'm so sorry. Uh, please forgive me. I know I, I just had pride, and, and I'm going to come your way, and, and I need forgiveness. No, he didn't do that. You know what he did? He took his anger and he just pressed it down and he became more enraged and more angry and then he vented it out on his brother and murdered his brother. The first murder in the Bible, the first crime is right there in Genesis 4. And it led him to being banished from God's presence. What a tragedy, right? What a tragedy. And so right here, in Genesis 4, what you have are these two roads. You got the way of Abel that comes by faith, recognizing my sin. The sacrifice that's required is through Jesus. And that is how I'm approved by God. And I walk with God and experience the blessing and favor of God. Or I have the way of Cain, which says I'm not really that bad. And I can create my own religion that I think is pleasing to me. And ultimately that is going to lead to losing your way. Completely. And by the way, these two roads, they, they stretch all the way through the Bible. In fact, throughout history, God puts people in, in the way of, of the Israelites to warn them uh, about the wrong road and to get on the right road. 
I, I think about Moses when the Israelites come out of the wilderness, right? And they finally come out of the wanderings and they're going to cross the Jordan River and into the land of promise. Moses stood before them and he said, I call heaven and earth as a witness against you that today I have set before you life and death, a blessing and curses. And then he says, choose life. Don't go the way these pagan uh, religions choose the way of God. Choose life. Sometimes later, uh, Joshua stood before the same people and he said, choose you this day who you will serve. Whether it's the gods uh, of the land in which you live or the Lord. But as for me and my house, we will worship the Lord. You've got a choice to make. Sometime later, before these same people, Elijah on Mount Carmel, and they're building altars to Baal, and then they're building one altar to the Lord, and he says this word, these words. He said, how long are you going to waver between two opinions? If Baal is God, follow him. If the Lord is God, follow him. See, you got to make a choice. Two roads. Which is it? And then Jesus comes. And Jesus plants his feet in the ground of those crossroads. And he said, enter at the narrow gate. Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is broad and easy. It leads to destruction. It's like an eight-lane highway, man. Everybody's going down that road. Everybody. But the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life and those who find it are few. And you say, well, what is that narrow way? What is that way that he's talking about? Well, he tells us in in John 14, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. Jesus, the Lamb of God, has come. What was foreshadowed back with Abel's offering has now fully come realized as the Messiah who came to provide for your sin and for mine. It all comes down to a choice. So which road are you on? Which way are you following? Would you bow your heads with me for just a minute? It's interesting, at the end of Hebrews 11, verse 4, it's talking about the way of of Abel. He came by faith. He came through a, a sacrifice. He was approved by God. And then it has a little kind of strange phrase at the end. It says, and even though he is dead, Abel still speaks. Even though he's dead, Abel still has a message that rings out today. He speaks to us through God's word. He speaks to us through his example. And he's saying, choose life. Choose Christ. Choose God's way. Humble yourself by faith. Acknowledge your own sin and need for a savior. Come to Jesus, run to Jesus, the ultimate savior and sacrifice. Only then can you find approved 
approval before God. Maybe you're here and you don't know for sure if you're right with God. If I were to say, hey, if you died right now, would you go to heaven? You don't know. I mean, you'd say, I'm trying to be a good person. I'm trying to do the right thing. But do you know Jesus? Are you on the right road? And you can know that. You can know that. I want to give you an opportunity to place your faith in Jesus today. Maybe you've never done that. Maybe you said, well, I grew up going to church and, you know, I've been sprinkled. I've gone to this or I've gone to that. that that's great. But I'm asking you as, a, as an adult, has there been a moment in time when you have repented of your sin, acknowledged it, trusted in Christ's sacrifice for your sin, and, and you have placed your faith in him alone? And if you are unsure of that, then you can be sure today. You can be sure right now. So I want to just lead you in a simple prayer. God sees your heart. God knows your heart. But if you feel the convicting work of God in your heart right now, if you feel the drawing of the Lord right now, then this is your moment to say yes to God, to say yes to Jesus. So I'm going to ask you, heads bowed, um, if you want to receive Christ, just lift up your hand. I'm not going to call you out, but I will see your hand. It's your kind of statement of need to say, Lord, I'm lifting my hand because I need you. And I'll see your hand and I'll just lead you in a prayer right where you're seated. So if you're here and you want Christ, lift up your hand. Lord, I need, I need forgiveness. I need to be right with God. I need, I need to know for sure that I know. Just lift it up. Pastor, pray for me. I need Christ. Pastor, pray for me. I need to know for sure. All right, thank you. Thank you. All right, anybody else? Last chance, anybody else? Pastor, pray for me. I need the Lord in my life. Okay, put your hand down. God sees your heart. God knows your heart, so he'll hear you as you call out to him. So just uh, pray this after me. Dear Lord, I know I've sinned against you. I know I've gone my own way. But I believe that Jesus died on a cross for me. I believe he rose from the dead. So I'm asking you now, please forgive me. Wash me clean. I know I can't be right with you on my own effort. So I'm re relying completely on Jesus. And today I choose to follow you all the days of my life. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace in my life. Thank you for making me clean.